So we're in the middle of a series called Free to Fly, and I'm pretty excited about this. It gives me an opportunity to share some stories from my sabbatical and lessons that I've learned. And specifically, as all the different themes from my sabbatical came together, one theme emerged, and it was that we are free in Christ, and we're to live free in Christ. Now, I believe uh, this freedom that we have in Christ, I believe it happens the second that you say yes to Jesus, right? The, the moment that you repent of your sins, the moment you put your faith in him, uh, you become free in Christ. That, that's how good he is. That's how powerful his blood is for anyone who confesses him as Lord and Savior. Because of Jesus, we are free. Can we say amen to that? And yet, even though we're free, often as believers, we do not know how to live or walk into that reality. And often it's things on the outside coming at us, but I think more often it's things within us, issues within ourselves. And so we allow ourselves to be trapped, to be tethered, unable to truly store with Christ. And so last week I talked about unforgiveness and how often this unforgiveness, it's a roadblock. It's a wall. It's, it's just this thing that we can't get past. It's, it's keeping us from being able to soar like that California condor that I showed flying over that Grand Canyon. And so we saw that forgiving others as we have been forgiven actually sets us free to fly. Amen. And it was really cool. Trevin didn't quite make it to church last Sunday. But um, yesterday it was my birthday, and, and he said to me, they were forced to say what they liked about me, which... Um, was fun. But what he said he liked about me is that I, I, I'm really forgiving. And so uh, that, that meant a lot to me. I don't know about you, but that, I took that one to the bank. Like, thank you, Jesus. And, um, and as I've told Trevin many times, I better be a forgiving person because I've been forgiven of a lot. <laughs> Anybody else here forgiven of a lot? Amen. Well, today I want to talk about another issue the Lord has walked me through during sabbatical. It's the area of faith. Faith. Or put it another way, uh, lack of faith. Uh, a lack of faith that keeps us from living in the freedom that Jesus has given to us. Now, the topic of faith could probably be a 10-week sermon series, right? could be a 10-year sermon series. You, you could talk uh, your whole life about this issue. Because it's kind of important. Anyone agree with that? Faith is it's kind of a deal. Um, but with that, I, I don't think I'm even addressing some of the more familiar passages today regarding faith. I'm not even sure this is a typical Danvers sermon, uh, but I did feel like it was a message the Lord gave to me to share with you. So I did a lot of walking this summer, which was good for my health, really good for some of my chronic pain issues. And much of this walking was done in absolutely beautiful parts of the country. And so um, we'll just see a couple of these pictures. That's uh, actually the uh, Grand... Charismatic, is that what it's called, I think? Uh, uh, Mary would know, uh, at Yellowstone. And this next picture, this is the canyon that's in Yellowstone. It's just unbelievable. See the next one. So this is actually in the Rockies. It was a former ski resort that they tore down, and now it's a place that you can go hiking. This is actually really cool. It's at uh, Rocky, uh, Rocky Mountain National Park, and we're at 12,000 feet right there. And we did not hike 12,000 feet. <laughs> we drove, and it was so, no, it was easy. We just drove and got out of the car. <laughs> All right, here's uh, the Millennium Falcon. That's pretty beautiful. 
Um, if you're a Star Wars fan, I think that thing's awesome. And it was crazy. We, we go back to that. We didn't. We didn't even go back. We didn't even plan this. Uh, we were there on our road trip, and I found out that one of my sisters was going to be down there at the same time, and then my other sister, she told me that they were going to be there at the same time. So a completely unplanned family reunion down at Disneyland. So that was pretty special. And then this next picture, and we'll stop with this picture, and go ahead and leave it up. This is, uh, isn't that beautiful? So uh, that is actually um, in Virginia, in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And I don't know about you, when, when I go to places like that, I, the first question I ask is, how did that get there? Right? What was the story behind that? And, and I love museums. I love to read the plaques. I, I'm always slow in places like this because I stop at every sign and I, and I read those plaques. This was built over 100 years ago. It's built by a, a man named Ed Mabry. You actually get to go in there. He had a blacksmith shop. He had a sawmill. Half of it was a sawmill. The other half, a, a grist mill, so uh, grinding grain. Just a fascinating place. And, and how did it get there? But then I have another picture. Um, let's show both of these. So there's this one. Uh, this is, uh, don't, don't go. Does anyone know what National Park this is? Yeah, Arches. So we're at Arches. It kind of makes sense. It's very well named. Um, so there's an arch. Go to the next picture. I think this is just amazing. Um, do you see how little I am? Isn't that amazing? Look, and then just this cathedral uh, of these arches. And, and for me, again, the same question goes uh, for me is how did it get there? How did it get there? What's the story behind that? And I'm a pre-med biology uh, major, and I, so with that I took a lot of science classes at the University of Wyoming. Uh, Wyoming Cowboys are currently 3-0 and in the football season. That's really big news. I might be missing a Sunday if they do uh, too good. Um, Got to go support my Cowboys. But if anyone else been in school before? Yeah. For those that are asleep, there's grace. But for the rest of you, that should be all of us. You kind of remember what your teachers taught you, and so I, I kind of remember what my Geology 101 class talked about with rocks and how rocks were formed, and, but I couldn't remember, so I asked Kent Ross, and uh, Kent Ross told me, he, he said there was three main uh, types of rocks that were formed, uh, sedimentary rocks, igneous rocks, and metamorphic rocks. But then you ask, and I don't know about you, but I ask, well, okay, sediment, sedimentary rock made of a bunch of sediments, well, who made the sediments? Yeah, or you can just keep on asking these questions about the world. At least I do. Uh, I'm always asking questions. I, I'm thankful. I grew up in a house of faith, but I was, it was a house of faith that wasn't afraid to ask questions. Uh, my dad was a teacher. My mom worked for school districts. God gave us brains. As kids, we were always encouraged to use them. And so again, who made the rocks? Who made the trees? Who made the mountains? Who made the oxygen, the nitrogen, carbon? Who made gravity? Who made planets, galaxies, universe? And my brain, uh, if you know me well, if you're a friend of mine, you know my brain never shuts off, even on sabbatical. And during these walks, I, I just remember thinking through all of this, as I usually do, as I process all of this, I, I always came back to this place of, God, you did this. God, you made this. I believe God made it. Which, by the way, made all of those professors at the University of Wyoming terribly mad. Uh, <laughs> When you get into that uh, educational system in college, you realize that many of them, their, their goal, their passion is to prove to you that God doesn't exist. 
Uh, there is no God. And yet, when I was walking out in this beautiful world, uh, this is what I believed. And let's take this a little further. I don't just believe a God made it, but I believe the God of Israel, the great I Am, Yahweh, made it. And not only did He make the world, but it gets even better. He made you, and He made me. In fact, Psalm 139, uh, Lori and I were just talking about Psalm 139. But it says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb, and I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen. And so often I, on these hikes, I just praise the Lord. It's Jesse Mendoza here. Yeah, in the back. Jesse and his wife, Debbie, you guys take a lot of hikes, I know. And, and it must stir up various emotions within you guys. But I don't know about you, but one of the main emotions and things that it stirs up within me is praise. Does that ever happen on your hike? It would be awkward if you said no. So thank you for saying yes. But when you're out there, you're just praising the Lord. Praise God Almighty. Praise Yahweh. Praise God of Israel for making me. That I, Daniel, Alan Burst, I'm fearfully, I'm wonderfully made. And I, may, and I praise you that not only did you make me, but you made the heavens and the earth. As Nehemiah tells us, you alone are the Lord. You created the heavens, the highest heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all things and the heavenly hosts worship you. And then we just come in and I go, okay, I'm worshiping with the heavenly host to you, God, the one who has made everything. That's what we believe. We believe in God, the creator of all things. But there, many people believe in a creator. There's many creation stories. But again, on these walks, these hikes, I began to make these declarations. Not do I just believe in a God, but I believe that this God, the God of Israel, the great I am, I believe not only in him, but I also believe that he the God of Israel, Yahweh, the great I Am, that He sent His Son, Jesus, the hope of Israel, the Savior of Israel, to save God's people and to save me. I believe in Jesus. And so much of my walking was done alone, and and so you don't talk much when you're alone. Or if you do, you're just kind of crazy, right? So I I, I didn't talk very much, just hours upon hours of silence of the Lord, but every once in a while I'd just be like, God, you did that. God, you did that. Oh, man, look what you've done, Lord. Oh, man, God, you do great things. I love that song that we sing. It's one of my favorite things. God, you do great things. But not only that, and again, if you knew me, you'd know the next phrase I would say. And I say this all the time. Probably, I don't know, it's just one of my favorites. It's just, thank you, Jesus. Any thank you, Jesus-ers out there? Right? Just thank you, Jesus. And, And just getting really good at just saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Because again, I didn't just believe in a God or the God. I believe in Jesus, the Son of God. I actually recorded a video of one of these times when I'm walking with Jesus. Uh, Let's go ahead and watch it together. So here I am at the Center for Spiritual Renewal for Pastors. In Foursquare, out in Virginia, Christiansburg, Virginia, and I am on a walk um, amongst a bunch of uh, hay, I guess, and uh, yeah, just me and Jesus having a good old time walking in the fields.
asking the Lord to speak to me and lead me and all those types of things. It's good stuff. You know, this summer I was, I was thinking about how with each layer of belief, I am narrowing down the amount of people who have the same belief as I do. So if, if I had a rock, if I was holding a rock up in the air, how many people believe in that rock? Most people would believe in that rock. Um, there are people that don't even believe in the rock, right? There's people that believe this is all a dream, a dream or a mirage, but for most of us, we would believe in that rock. But then there's a smaller amount of people who believe that a god made that rock, right? The amount of people that would say a god made that rock, it would be a smaller group. The amount of people who believe that the God of Israel made it, smaller, right? But even smaller still is the number of people who believe that they are walking with Jesus and that it's through Jesus that that rock was made. Smaller group. And yet that's what we believe. Colossians says it this way, For in him all things were created, in Jesus all things created. Things in heaven, but also on earth, visible, invisible, thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, how many things? All things have been created through Jesus and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn among, amongst the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I believe in John chapter 1, it says, He, Jesus, was with God in the beginning. Through him, through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So all of a sudden, now I'm standing, and the amount of people I'm standing with in, in this belief of what I just read, that's a lot smaller, isn't it? Like a whole lot smaller. And yet this summer, I found myself declaring out loud when no one else was watching, I believe in you, Jesus. In fact, I have a picture. I, I took a picture of this uh, bench here. Um, that's my water bottle. I promise you, I took it with me. I hate litter, so we're good. Um, but this is out um, by a museum that kind of talked about uh, fiddle music and banjo music and the origins of kind of that Appalachian uh, roots music. And so it was a great museum, but then they send you out in the middle of nowhere. And at that bench, uh, I remember I was on my knees, uh, kneeling at that bench and just saying, I believe in you, Jesus. I trust in you, Jesus. My life is in your hands. And I took a picture because it was very emotional, and I, I never wanted to forget that moment that I had with Jesus. And I felt it deep within me, and I, I hope you feel your faith deep within you. Because a belief in Jesus, it's not just belief, is it, right? It's a belief that compels us to action, right? It, uh, believing in a rock, I mean... Maybe that causes your car to swerve out of the way. But the action that is compelled by that belief, it doesn't always show itself in the day-to-day -day world. But our belief in Jesus, I mean, would you agree with me? It changes everything. Or it should change everything. And if it's not changing anything or everything, then what do you even believe about Jesus? Because our faith in Jesus changes how we live. It changes how we talk. It changes how we walk. It's a belief that turns us into a people of faith, a faith that compels us to live for something bigger and greater than ourselves. It's a belief in Jesus that changes everything. And so this faith, it's so important to walking in true freedom. 
afraid in, what we believe, who we place our faith in. It matters. It greatly affects our lives. This all got real for me this summer on these walks because I was hearing the news of various Christians walking away from the faith. And so I was just kind of wondering, like, what is that even about? Right? Why is this happening? And what was it? And this, again, my brain is always saying, what was it that they believed in the first place? Like, how could you get there? What was it that you believed in the first place? I heard a theologian speak this summer. I, I can't remember who it was, but I, I liked what he said. He was speaking, it was his concern about the modern way that we've done church over the past 20 years. The numbers are drastic in, in how, in each generation, less and less people are following Christ. Less and less people are attending church and those types of things. And yet, in this time, in his opinion, uh, there has been an increase in focusing on ex- experiential, emotional worship, where you focus on having the right instruments, the right lighting, the right songs, to get that emotional experience, while the messages, at the same time, have become more and more watered down. And so, again, this is his opinion, but in his view, when these people go out into the real world and begin to be questioned and challenged about what they believe or what they do not believe, trying to live in this culture, they they haven't been trained up in righteousness, they don't even really know their Bibles, and, and they don't really have those firm beliefs founded on the truth of God's Word, and so their faith is easily swayed by the world and the teachings of the world, the spirit of the world, because yes, they had an emotional experience in church, but they never truly knew what they believed or had faith in the first place. Again, this is just his opinion, but I think there's a lot of truth to that. When times get tough, when you're in a challenging situation, when life hits you with a tragedy, a heartbreak, what you believe, church, is really going to matter. Because when our life is rattled, right? You ever had your life rattled before? All of us could say yes to that. When your life is rattled, when the house is rattled, when the house is shaking, we are often broken down to what? Down to our foundation. To our foundation. And whatever that foundation is made of, that's going to determine how and where and when you rebuild. So what's your foundation, LifeSpring? What are your core beliefs about life? What are your core beliefs about this world, about existence, about God, about Jesus? Because what you believe about God and about Jesus will determine what your next steps of rebuilding are going to look like as you walk through a crisis or you walk through a hardship. And I'm thankful for the foundation I have in Christ. Praise the Lord. He is a solid rock in my life. Anybody just thankful for Jesus. But aren't you thankful too that the foundation you have, right? There's so many of you, you can just say like good times, bad times, I'm all in for Jesus. And by his grace, I've been building my house on the rock. For me, I know I I tell you this, it's been a process. It's, It's a journey of faith, right? It's a walk of faith. If you're not there yet, if you're still feeling like the foundation is a little shaky, just encourage you, don't give up, right? Keep pressing in, keep reading his word, investigate his claims. Don't be afraid to ask questions. You don't have to let your brain be checked out at the door. Bring your brain in, ask questions. Don't be afraid to learn. Also, don't be afraid to listen to his voice. And as you do those things, your faith is going to grow. The Bible says when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts, it's like a wave. Just get this image, imagery in your head. It's like a wave of the sea. You ever seen a wave before, right? Blown and tossed. 
by the wind. Depending where you are on your journey, some of you might hear that and you might be even thinking like, wow, that is totally me. I'm blown and tossed by the wind, blown and tossed by every difficult circumstance, blown and tossed by every awkward conversation, blown and tossed by false doctrine, blown and tossed, not even really knowing what I believe, blown and tossed. But if that's you, I just want to encourage you, God wants to help you today. God wants you to be set free, where you're no longer on the roller coaster of emotions, but where you can be confident and you can find your sure footing in the foundation of Jesus Christ. Now, for me, as confident as I am in my belief in the Lord, that doesn't mean I don't get emotional. Anyone emotional in this place? Anyone have feelings? I I have great emotions and feelings that come out at the most awkward times. But I I do, right? I, I get fearful. I get angry. I get sad. Have you ever got sad before? Did you know it's okay to be sad? You don't have to fake it till you make it. That there are days when you wake up and, and you're just going to be sad that day. And you're going to ask Jesus, Jesus, would you just sit with me and help me walk through this day that is kind of sad. That's okay. Whatever person said you had to you know, fake that and turn that frown upside down, they don't understand that Jesus actually wept. Jesus, when his friend died, he, he mourned. It's okay. We're all emotional. We all have feelings. But I can tell you this. In my worst moments, I can confidently tell you that I believe that Jesus, in my worst moment, I will even, you, just, you cannot rattle me, in, my wor- in the dark, in the worst moment of my life, I'm still going to say to you, Jesus, he's the only way, he's the way, the truth, the life, there is no other way to the Father except through him, because my foundation is on him. I remember when I became a senior pastor, I, I was going through a pretty intense season, and some of you men were in that room when I said this, but I told the men's group, I said, I'm not happy, but I'm faithful. So you need to hear that, right? I'm not happy, but I'm faithful. It wasn't a great season, but I was going to be faithful to the Lord. By the way, I think part of this faith that I have is a gift of faith. I, that I, you know, I don't quite understand. I, I think it's something that the Lord has given me. It's just a gift from the Lord. I believe, and again, I don't understand all of this, but I believe in some way that it's a gift that has been given to me from the family that I grew up in. Because I, I get it. We all have a personal decision that we have to make. I had to make that personal decision to put my faith in Jesus. But it sure does help, and I think you would agree, when you see this kind of faith modeled by your parents. And I realize that many of you didn't have that. In fact, the longer I'm pastoring, the more I realize that most people didn't have that. I just thought that's how it was for everyone growing up. But yet, a lot of you didn't have that. But see, in my childhood, from my earliest memories, I saw faith. I saw a people in in the house that I lived in, in that house, living from the foundation of Jesus. And this was modeled by my parents. And my parents, they have had some of the worst tragedies happen in their lives. Intense, emotional, hell-on-earth kind of moments. They're things that I shouldn't even be sharing, but I just want you to know, in their darkest moments as a little kid i saw them in their darkest moments i saw them trusting in the lord often in the darkest moments what are they doing they are crying to the lord their hope was always in jesus i've seen that in my siblings i'm the youngest of five and i hear some of the horror stories of you growing up with your siblings and how mean they were and awful they were to you that is not my story as the youngest of 
five, you think about it, who do you want to be like? You want to be like your older siblings. You want to be like them and you want to kind of just follow in their footsteps. And yet I had the privilege of watching my two brothers and my two sisters all follow hard after the Lord. All of them feel crazy, even to this day, about the Lord. And I remember as a kid, just being young, I never saw them go through those seasons of rebellion. I never saw them running from the Lord. And yet, again, they've had tragedies that are too painful to mention. Even this week, something it's not even appropriate for me to share, but I, and I see every emotion in them. I see the hurt. I see the pain. But even now, they are following hard after Christ. Even as tears stream down their face, they are staying steadfast in the walk with Jesus. And so I grew up, and again, I get that most of us didn't have this, but I grew up in a family that remained extremely faithful to God, believing their hope was in Jesus. If you're a parent today, or if you're a sibling, I want to encourage you. Your children, your brother, your sister, they're watching you. They're watching you. And they're looking to you. They, they'll never admit it, by the way. Especially as the youngest, I never like, was like, oh, I'm just following you. No, like, I was jealous of them. I, all those things. But deep down inside... They are watching you. They are looking for direction on how to live. Looking for direction on how to act. And, by the way, not just when life is going really well. Right? Anybody can have faith when it's all rainbows and butterflies. That's easy. But when times get tough, when life is hard, when the pain feels like it's just too much to bear, they are watching you. And they want to know if this faith stuff really works. They want to know if it's real. Ben Dixon, I just love this guy, Ben Dixon, over at Northwest Church. He he tells me the other day, he says, learning how to follow Jesus, he said, is caught way more than it is taught. It's caught more than it's taught. And in many ways, how to follow Jesus, for me, it was caught in that house that I grew up in, way more than it was taught. We didn't have, like, Bible studies and those types of things in my house. I didn't have to see Jesus through uh, legalistic regiments of, you know, churchdom. Uh, no, I just saw Jesus in my parents and in, and in my siblings. But I want you to think about how this looks like in your life. With your kids, with your siblings. What are they catching from you? What are they catching from you? Especially in the difficult seasons. And if you've blown it in the past, which we all have, know that God isn't here to shame you for past mistakes. But he really cares about you today. And he cares about this day. He made this day, by the way. It's a day that matters to him. And he cares about what you do this day. And would you let him, in this moment at eleven twelve on a Sunday morning, allow him to fill you up, even now, to give you the power to be a person of faith, where even your loved ones begin to take notice. Model to your family in word, in deed, that Jesus is the answer, even in the darkest moments of life. It's amazing how this can be caught and actually be passed down generation to generation. Because this summer, with the time I had, and I had some extra time, I I did a lot of reading. I actually read 11 books this summer. But I also read about my ancestors. And I read... In this history magazine, it wasn't even a Christian magazine, it was a history uh, magazine about my great-great-grandfather August, which is, by the way, the coolest name, August. I love that. But um, the whole article was about this church that he helped plant in the Davenport Sprague area. You guys have heard me talk about it. Uh, It's still standing to this day. Um, 
but like was 1883, so like a long time. It's, I think it's the longest running church in the state of Washington. It's still going, maybe six, seven people, but it's still going. But then I read in another magazine about my great-grandpa Herman and my great-grandpa's sons, Chester and Archie. Chester being my grandpa, Chester, and then Archie. And one of those articles that I read was entitled, How to Lose a Farm. (laughs) And it's all about these smooth-talking crooks who sold worthless mining stock to my great-grandfather. And so he took a loan out to invest in the king, gold, and copper mines. But church, there were no king, gold, and copper mines. They took their money and ran. And so the loan company took almost everything that my great-grandfather owned. But I love it. At the end of this article, again, not a Christian article, it says that Herman Burst followed the narrow path, and he was a man that never carried any ill feelings. Praise God. A man of faith, even after you lose your farm. The next article is entitled, A Mini Crusade. You ever been to Ritzville before? All right, okay, Mini Crusade. Let me just, I won't read the whole thing, but I'll read a little bit of, of it to you. This is a guy writing about my grandpa and my grandpa's brother. He says, the winter of 1931-32 was one heck of a winter to start any kind of crusade. Snow fell and drifted on Thanksgiving Day. When December arrived, most of the country roads were plugged with snow. By midwinter, drifts got high enough to bury our chicken house. He says, two weeks before Christmas, that rough winter, my three friends with a message, Chester, Archie, and a man named Roy, started their crusade in Ritzville. A pulpit and some benches went with the vacant building that was located in the old part of downtown Ritzville. Upstairs was a place for eating and sleeping and preparing sermons. It was pretty crowded with guests as they arrived for a stay. Chester was married. He had started a family, also Roy. Archie was single, which helped a lot with space. Altar cards were printed and an outdoor banner was made. The crusade was ready to get going. Snowstorms isolated the two evangelist parents that were stuck up here in Rockland. Herman and his wife wanted so badly to get in on the beginning of the revival. Herman was too scared, again my great-grandfather, Herman was too scared to drive his car down to Ritzville in the ice, snow, and fog, so I asked to be their chauffeur. The Ritzville road was blocked at Harrington. Detouring around Sprague wasn't fun. In those days, windshields had no defrosters. The only remedy was for me to stick my head out the window and let it freeze till I reached Ritzville. He says, I was so cold that night that I stood down in front of the wood-burning stove all during the evening services. And this is what he says about my grandpa and uh, his brother and, and Roy. He says, it was nice visiting with my friends. They looked about the same as us, except they wore suits all day long. When they uh, took up gospel work was always the main, or, or why they took up gospel work was always the main topic, except for emptying out the collection box, picking up groceries, straightening the outside banner, sweeping up the hall. There really wasn't much to do. The gospel car was available if I cared to visit relatives, but the country roads held too much snow. The scattering of attendants got their money's worth. Chester, the friendly one, Archie, the more serious one, and Roy, the handsome one. They made quite the trio. They had a double feature going on the same bill each night. Both Chester and Roy delivered their own style of sermons. Archie inherited a good set of lungs and did a lot of the solo singing. On the tail end of the services, Archie's singing voice blended in with the altar call. The senior Bursch, Herman, was a receptionist that later was a seeker of prospective souls. Several calm days rose the attendance to about 30. 
Then the wind started to whistle about that old building, the building that had seen better times. The turnout dropped to about zero. My friends began looking like a bunch of missionaries stranded on a deserted island. They decided to stick it out. I decided I was homesick. (laughs) I had no desire to stay and see if their prayers were going to get answered uh, for better weather and larger crowds. So he takes off. And as I read that, I just realized, like, whoa, that's kind of me. Like, I'm totally the guy that would lose a farm. Have you realized and noticed how easy it is to take advantage of me? Like, if anyone was going to be at a crusade and do a crusade that no one else showed up to, probably going to be me. I, I can't tell you how many things I've done that nobody showed up to. Ryan and I, we talk about it all the time. And it just made me laugh. I, I, I thought... I am in a generational legacy of fools. 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 Fools for Christ. Faithful fools. And I don't completely understand how it all works, but I can see how this is something that the Lord has been doing generationally in my family. And as most of you know, both of my brothers are senior pastors. And my sister, she's a worship leader. And I, I just, I want to pass that faith on to my kids. In fact, we had a family meeting uh, Tuesday night, and I brought all the kids together, and, and we just talked, and I, and I shared about that we need to be faithful, and that it's impossible to please God without faith, and no matter what, we would always put our faith in Jesus. Is it time for you to have a family meeting? Is it time for you, those around you to know where you stand, not just in the good times, but in the bad times? Is it time for you to make that public declaration so that everyone can hear that if it all crumbles and I lose everything, I will still walk the narrow road and even if nobody else shows up, I'm showing up. Is it time for you to make that stand? I want you to really consider these questions. This this is your life at stake and and the fruitfulness of your life. Are you willing to take that stand? And maybe you didn't grow up in that family of faith, but have you ever thought, that maybe it's going to start with you? Ryan and I pray that all the time, right? It's going to start with you. This generational legacy of faith. It could start with you. And I think, by the way, that's what I love about this community. I, I said it in our prayer time earlier. It's a community of faith. I love that. I, I love this place. There's a faith here that actually makes me feel like I'm at home. I, my spirit sits well in this place. Because I see your faith. And what's crazy about it is I know your stories. I know you've been going through a lot of stuff. As I told Ryan the other day, he goes, how's it been going? I go, well, you know what? Everyone's going through something. That's what I told him. Everybody's going through something. And yet I love it. Even when you're struggling through the things, even as you go into your workplace, into your schools, as you go into the streets, and all these people around you don't believe, you have stayed true and you are walking by faith with the Lord. I love it. But I want to encourage you, hold on to that faith. Hold on, right? Don't quit now. Don't compromise. Don't settle for less. You hold on. You persevere in the faith. You, with a steadfast endurance, you be joyful in hope. You be patient in affliction. You be faithful in prayer. I just want you to know how proud I am of you for walking in the faith. But I want to encourage you. This is who you are. That wasn't just like a a, a neat little one-time event. This is who you are. You are a person of faith. I am a person of faith. It's your identity. It's your spiritual DNA. And don't let anyone, including Satan himself, trap you, imprison you into a place of unbelief. Don't let him do it. 
Some of you, you're playing with fire. Don't let your culture, don't let social media, don't let your family or your neighbors or coworkers or classmates, don't give anyone the power to toss you to and fro, to cause you to doubt. We're a people of faith. Not like a wave in the ocean. We're like a house built on the solid rock. And may the generations that grow up around us see in us a steadfastness in our faith, a joy-filled hope in our faith, a foundation that always calls on the name of Jesus. The good times, the bad times. By the way, one of the greatest ways you can show your faith is when you screw up. Because we're all going to screw up. But even when you screw up or you make a mess of things, that they would always see you running back to the cross in repentance. Running back to them to plead for, would you forgive me? I'm so sorry I said that. I'm sorry I acted that way. I'm sorry I treated you that way. But I'm a person of faith. And that's not okay. Would you forgive me? That we would be a people. The generation after us, whatever one you're talking about, whether it's millennials or Generation Z, they are watching us. And they need to see that I have hope. I am a person of faith. All my eggs are in one basket. His name is Jesus, and Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus is everything. So just, I encourage you, they're watching you. And it's in the hard times when your faith, the true faith, rises up. A faith that no one, not even the devil himself, can touch. I want to invite the worship team on up. And of all the things, many of you would agree with me, of all the things that I want my children to see, it's that I was faithful to the end. Right? Don't, don't you have a passion for that? Because I get it. We, we think, oh man, I did this wrong, I did this wrong. But you're alive today. Do you know how much hope there is for today? You're alive and your kids, I don't care if they're 10 or if they're 50, they're still watching you. And there's a part of them that maybe will never admit it to you, but deep down within their heart, do you know, church, they want your faith to be real? They want what you have. And they don't know how to explain it. They don't know how to express it. But they want to know that God is real. They want to know that Jesus is real. And they can see the truth of Jesus, the power of Jesus, as you stay steadfast in your faith. For me, you know, I have some flaws, including my corny dad jokes. They're just bad. And I always love it because Kyla Ferris laughs at them and it encourages me. But... I want my kids to know that, yeah, I was messy, like a whole lot messy. I I mean, I had to ask for forgiveness all the time. But I want them to remember their dad never turned his back on Jesus. Even in the midst of all of my emotions. Again, I'm emotional. I, I have feelings. But through all those situations that I faced, when it felt like I lost the farm, when it felt like nobody showed up, that I never turned my back on Jesus. Even in my darkest times, I knew where my help came from. I want my family to know that they can choose to be faithful too. That Jesus is worth it. That's what I want. Do you want that? I, 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 right? I mean, what do you want to be known for? When, you, when, you, when they have that funeral and they sing songs about you and they talk about you, what do you want to be known for? This is so important, church. I want to be known for my faith. And you can tell all the stories of the terrible things I did. That's fine. But you're never going to be able to say, I wasn't a man of faith. How about you? What are people going to say about you? Oh, man. I'm not going to say a name because someone's probably in here. But but what do you want them to say about you? I want to conclude with just a few scriptures and then we'll be done. Everybody knows John 3.16. It's great. But keep reading. 
Listen to how important faith is. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Listen, church. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. A little bit later, he says, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever believes has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Even further in that same gospel, Jesus says to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, Thomas. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Don't disbelieve, Thomas. But what? Believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord, my God. Jesus says, have you believed because you have seen me? Now he's talking about us here, church. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And then the verse I shared with my children Tuesday night. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God, you must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I get that I I left out a bunch of what the Bible says about faith. But I I think this is much more than a sermon. I think it's a plea (laughs) that as you build your house and you're going to build your house, that you would build it in a way that when the storm comes, your foundation will not be shaken. That's my heart for you. I think that's the Lord's heart for you. And I don't think that means it's going to be easy. It definitely doesn't mean there aren't going to be times of pain and hardships. But with Jesus, I believe this. You're not only going to weather the storm, but you're going to come out on the other side stronger than ever before because your faith is in the one who is greater than the storm. So I want to read this together, and then I'm going to pray for us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Would you pray with me? Bow your heads and pray with me. Lord, right now, uh, we just thank you for who you are. And we put our faith in you. If there's anyone here today who has not put their faith in Jesus, you've never believed in his sacrifice uh, for the forgiveness of your sins, and yet you would like to uh, receive that today, receive uh, forgiveness, receive uh, such, such a thing, the Bible puts it in language that says the old is gone, the new has come. The Bible uses language like you actually become a new creation. If you're tired of the way you've been living uh, on your own, by your own, for your own self, if, if you're ready to live for something bigger and greater than yourself, actually forever and ever, if that's you, would you raise your hand? I, I want to pray with you. I want to pray that you could put your faith in Jesus and allow him to save you. Put your faith in Jesus. Allow him to rescue you all your sins would be forgiven that you could put a faith in Jesus anybody yeah amen absolutely absolutely I, I see you amen absolutely absolutely and then there's others of us who we just know we're allowing the circumstances of life to rattle us in ways 
that are very unhealthy, that um, there, it's causing us to talk and behave in ways that are not of his kingdom. And if that's you, maybe today what, more than anything is you need to decide, I'm not going to walk by the things that I see or the things I see in the natural, but I'm going to live in the supernatural. I'm going to not walk by sight, but I'm going to walk by faith. And faith is the only way to be a Christian. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. If that's you, if you just know that you've been kind of going through your weeks, not walking in faith, but more just being that wave tossed to and fro, just be honest with the Lord in this moment. Say things like, you know, in, in your own language, just things like, I trust you, God. I, I, I hope in you, God. And my life is yours, God. God, in, in this dark moment in my life, in this painful season, God, I want you to be glorified. So God, just show me, teach me how, how to be an example, a witness to those around me of who you are and the life that is found in your son. So Lord, I just pray, and, and we're just praying to you that you would begin to stir that within us. For those that raise their hands, Lord, that what they're saying is they believe in you, Jesus. And when, when we come to you in that kind of belief, you aren't here to condemn them. You aren't here to shame them. You're here to save them. And I just want you to hear this, the people that raise their hands, that in this moment you are free. You've been set free. Jesus has set you free. I and even encourage you to go back, grab a starter kit, um, reach out to the church, connect with someone. But God, we thank you that we're free in you. Free to walk with you, Jesus. Show us what it looks like to be free. But for the rest of us that maybe the foundation has been shaky, Lord, would you begin to show us next steps, the right next thing to do uh, to build that foundation, to build that house on the rock, Jesus. Show us that even now, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for our, our anger issues. Forgive us for our unforgiving hearts. Forgive us for our willingness to just desire to see people miserable. Forgive us, Lord, for the way we judge. Forgive us for the way we speak harshly. Forgive us for the way that we take up offense. Just forgive us, Lord. And Jesus, would your attributes and your characteristics just begin to flood us in this moment. As we put faith in you, we don't just put faith in you as a rock. We put faith in you as the living God put faith in you as the one who has saved us and rescued us, but also is giving us your spirit to do what you've asked us to do. As we continue to pray, is there anyone that needs healing? If, if just your head's bowed, we're still praying. Is there anyone that needs healing in this? Like, would you just raise your hand? Okay, we're just going to pray right now. Church, we just pray in the name of Jesus that there would be healing in this place. In the name of Jesus, God, this is who you are. This is natural for you to heal your people, to heal your children. And I pray over every sickness, over every disease, Lord, that there would be a mighty rush of your wind, Lord, a rush of your spirit, a rush of your living water that would flow through each person that raised their hand. And there would be such a divine and radical healing, Lord, that they could know just without a doubt that they have been touched mightily by you, Jesus. And, Lord, that even this healing would increase our faith, Lord. Even as we experience from you, Lord, what only you could do, that we would say, wow, that is who my God is. And that is who my God is. That's who my God. Look at what my God has done. Look at, thank you, Jesus. Look at what my God, this is who my God is. This is what my God does. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So, Lord, just your, your, uh, just your mighty 
power on the move and display right now in healing over each one that raised their hand. Thank you, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen.